it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. I love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today, we have episode 263. Today, we're going to answer two great listener questions that we got from Nick that I got on Twitter. So FYI, if you guys are looking for a place to reach out to us and send us questions, Twitter is a great place to do it. The DMs are open and you send me any questions and we will talk about some of those on the show. So without any further ado, let's kind of dive into the question. So the first question is, I've been searching for compounding businesses. I'm looking for a strong record of company buybacks. When I look at this chart of Target, to me, it looks like most of the compounding was made in the last 10 years. Does compounding slow down when a company has already brought back the majority of the shares? So this is a great question from Nick. So I guess first, maybe can we kind of unpack, I guess, a few of the terminology in there to help explain people maybe that are new to the show or are newer to investing. So let's talk about compounding first. What are your thoughts on compounding? Well, Nick, we have something in common. I'm also looking for compounding businesses, businesses that can grow the value on a per share basis. So... If a stock is a part ownership stake of a business, then as the business grows in value, so will the stock price. The other way that I can get compounding from a stock, a share of stock, is if a company buys back shares, what they're doing is they're increasing that piece of the business that I own. That slice of the pie is becoming bigger for me because they're buying back stock and and basically getting rid of it. And that can create compounding too because the business could stay the same value, but my stock price would grow because that one share is a piece of a business and it's a bigger piece when you reduce the number of slices. Yeah, that makes total sense. Okay, so 
when we're talking about looking for compounding businesses, how do you search for compounding businesses? Like where do you go to look for these kinds of this magic? They are everywhere around. That's the beauty of it. For me, I like to start with revenue growth. And this is something that I think Braden's really done a good job of highlighting is make sure you're finding businesses that are growing because that's the easiest way to compound. A business that can have profits and grow those profits can sustainably compound and grow in value. And you can't do that for a long period of time without growing your revenue. So there's a lot of websites you can use. I think stratosphere.io is a pretty good one to get started on as well. Braden's tool. You can put in the ticker of the company you're looking for. And within the first couple of metrics, if you look at the income statement, you can find the very top line is revenue or it's also called sales. But that's going to be the very first part of an income statement. And if you see that going up over time, then that's a good first indicator for, hey, this might be a good business that can compound. Is there a hurdle rate that you look for when you're looking for a compounding business? Like, Let's throw numbers there. Let's say that you have a company that's growing at 2% a year and you have another company that's growing at 7% a year and another one that's growing at 12% a year. Obviously, the 12% is like, ooh, that's great. But obviously, there's going to be, sometimes there's going to be compounding, maybe not compounding, conflicting issues of why that. But why would the 2% one maybe be one that you'd want to steer away from? That's pretty obvious, right? It could be, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I I get some people have like very strict hurdles, like I got to have it over 10% or something. And, you know, I don't really subscribe to that because for a myriad of reasons, but I'll give you just a couple of ways to think about it. And what's important about finance and the economy and and the stock market is that things change. So what was true five years ago might be different today. But we're recording this in 2023. So there's a couple of numbers we can think of like a baseline. Okay, Inflation historically has been somewhere around 2 to 3% per year. So in your example, a company growing at 2% revenue per year is either barely keeping up with inflation or not keeping up with inflation at all. That's not very good. GDP in the United States, which is a measure of how the economy is growing, the economy as a whole, has been over the last 25 years. Now, post-pandemic, things have accelerated. So this data might be old very soon. But let's say the 25 years before the pandemic, you had GDP growth around 4.5%. And I'm talking about not inflation-adjusted GDP, just regular old GDP, nominal GDP, 4.5% per year. So if you see a company that's growing at 4.5% per year, then that's pretty good. It's growing alongside the economy. If it's growing faster than the economy, 7%, 11%, there's two things happening. Either they are growing faster than their competitors, which means they're taking market share, or their industry is growing faster than the economy, which means they're taking mar- the industry as a whole is taking market share. You can't have higher growth without either of those things being true. So when I look at a company and I see 4.5% growth, I kind of don't look at it as favorably today, but I'm not going to completely discount it because there could be other reasons why it hasn't grown faster than the economy. So I wouldn't want to cripple myself by only looking at high growth names, which means you're just looking only at disruptors. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. 
not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Right, exactly. And one other thing that I think I want to kind of throw out there when you're thinking about compounding and revenue growth is think about companies and evolution of their life cycle and newer more disruptive, whatever terminology you want to put around it, newer companies usually will see a higher, steeper, as my hand goes up, you can't see, a steeper growth of revenue growth. And as the company starts to reach more of a maturity, it can plateau or reach a more, I guess, gradual, yes, stable growth rate. And then it can get on the other side of that and start to actually see revenue either flatten out or start to decline as the company ages and the products and the services that they produce start to fall out of favor or other competitors come in and and start to take away market share. And if you look at grocery stores or department stores, it's a really easy comparison to see when you look at companies like Sears, JCPenney, any of those kinds of companies that have kind of you know reached a high point and became dominant and then have fallen off for whatever reason. And that's a normal life cycle that most companies go through. You're going to have you know exceptions to that rule always. 
but as a general rule, you're gonna that's something that you're gonna see a lot of. Now, the I guess the caveat that I like to kind of think about some of those more stable or maybe more mature companies that maybe aren't growing as fast may have a lot of profitability to them and, or they may pay really big dividends. And so when you think about different kinds of investors, some investors are looking for companies in that sphere, if you will, that they want more stable growth and they want higher dividend payments and they don't want to deal with a lot of the volatility that you see from younger companies as they're growing to that stage. And some people want those really high flying, big growth companies. And then other people want the more stable. I don't think anybody wants anything on the decline, but there may be investors out there that do, but that pay really big dividends. And that's really what they're looking for. So it really kind of depends where you are in the pendulum of that growth life cycle. And when I'm looking at companies, I guess I'm looking for, you know, companies that are, are growing kind of like what Andrew was saying, you know, above GDP, but it's always going to be on a case by case basis. And I, I don't necessarily hold myself to a strict, you know, it's got to be 12% growth or then we're done here. It, it's the really, rate. yeah, the hurdle rate. I don't like to limit myself by that because there, it's so hard to find great companies that you can grow your wealth in. And sometimes the air quote boring companies, which we had an episode about uh, just recently, those can be great investments and they may not grow at 27% a year. They may only grow at 8% a year, but they also could return you 20% a year for the next 20 years. So I guess, which would you rather have? All right. So let me ask if it's just a matter of volatility, like if say you're an investor who's young and can stomach a lot of volatility, then shouldn't you just buy all companies that are at the early stage of their growth? That's a great question. And I guess that's kind of hard for me to answer because I'm 56. And so I'm not there and I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. (laughs) So why yes and why no? Why yes and why no? Okay. So the no part of that equation is probably easier for me to answer. The no part of that equation, I guess I would think of it as Yes, you're going to experience a lot of volatility, but you're also probably going to experience a higher share price to the value because investors are always on the search for the new shiny thing. And those companies tend to be the ones that are going to grow fastest and are going to have the highest growth rates. They're also the ones that are going to attract the most money because they're the new shiny object in the market. And people will get attracted to that. And those typically are the ones that have their prices bid up higher than their actual value is. And so you'll see a lot of these one-trick pony kind of companies that come out of nowhere, become these huge high flyers. And then when they can't reach profitability, they will fall back to earth. So that's, I guess, the no part of it. The yes part of it is, depending on how you structure your investments, you could hit it really big by picking the next Amazon. And that's maybe not the way that I choose to invest, but there are people out there that have done well that can do that. They buy a basket of 10 of the fastest growing companies in the market, and they understand that they may lose money on eight out of the 10, but they're gambling or betting that two out of those 10 are really going to hit a big and be the next Amazon or the next Google or whoever, insert name here. And they can really make a lot of money by doing that. And so that's, I guess, the advantage to investing in companies like that. 
Uh, that's not the, personally the way I like to do it. I can't handle that kind of volatility or guesswork, I guess is the best way of putting it. But there's certainly a, a faction in, of people that do that and have been very successful at it. And then they're fine with the volatility. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to answer it. Okay. And thanks for making that distinction because <laughs> you know it, it's something that investors should consider um, when looking at the, the life cycle curve. And hopefully we just gave you a good MBA and investing course all in the course of 10 minutes there. Let's get back to the question because this is pretty good after our fun little diversion on compounding. So he's saying Target has most of its compounding in the last 10 years. And he's saying, does compounding slow down when the company has already bought back the majority of its shares? I would say no, the compounding won't slow down when it's bought the majority of its shares. And the reason why I'm saying that is the company has other levers that they can pull to continue to grow depending on the business. They could split their shares. They could split their shares. Yes, they could easily do that. They could they could split their shares, which gives them more shares to buy back over the period of time. It also depends on what industry and what business it is in. And I guess without limiting myself to a company like Target, they may have, let's think about a company like Amazon. Amazon has figured out another lever that they can pull to generate more revenue for the company. When the company first began, it was basically a retailer. And then now it's evolved to being a retailer and a cloud company. And some could argue that there's way more value in the cloud than there is in the retail part of the business, but I'm not going to argue that. But I guess what I will say is that because of the optionality of what Jeff Bezos created in the business, he was able to create another revenue stream to allow the business to continue to succeed once maybe the retail part reached more of a mature stage. And again, I'm not saying that that's what's happened, but that's what really good businesses do is they figure out other levers that they can use to pull to try to generate more revenue. And splitting shares is one idea, but also creating a new business out of what they're doing and creating, a, you know, I think Monish Bry calls these spawners where they create other businesses within their business and they use those to generate greater returns over a period of time. Microsoft has done the exact same thing with Azure. So there's lots of examples in the market that they've done that. So what are your thoughts on this question? Yeah, that's exactly right. They can totally compound in many other ways. And we saw, we've seen lots of businesses do that. We just talked about Texas Instruments. Mm-hmm. They used to be a big calculators company. I remember when I was in high school, they had the TI-89 and everybody in my class had to have one. Now, calculators makes up one less than 1% of their revenues and yet people still think Texas Instruments calculators. Right. So good businesses are nimble, they evolve, and they know how to do so without blowing up their cash cow, if you will. And I just wanted to answer the question literally. It's so why I mentioned the split shares thing, um, just in case there's beginners out there. What happens when a company splits their shares is this happened to me when I owned a company called Hormel. And this happened like back in 2015, 2016. So I had three shares of Hormel and now I have six shares of Hormel. So what they did is they doubled the share count. And if you have, for every share you have, you get now two shares. So if you're worried about them kind of running out of this pie to buy back, they can continue just splitting. What was it? Uh, Google and I think Amazon recently did stock splits. Yep. So unless you think 
you're going to own the entire business one day. There's going to be a lot of room for compounding through buybacks because they can keep splitting the shares and people will buy those up. So I don't see it. If a company has had a lot of share reduction in the past, that has zero bearing on how much compounding it can have over the future through its buybacks. I just wanted to make that super, super clear. Yeah, exactly. To go back to the Texas Instruments example, in the last 18 years, they've bought over 47% of their shares. And they can easily do what Andrew just said and continue that escalation of buying back shares and turning more and more value to us as shareholders. So there's lots of opportunities for the companies, whether they use the optionality or whether they use the ability to split their shares. So it's a great question for sure. All right, let's move on to the next one. So this is also from Nick. Uh, He asked, why would uh, the American Express CEO sell the majority of his shares at $178 per share? I guess let's talk about how would he find out they did this? Like, Where can investors go to learn when insiders, which are people that own parts of the company that are management, are selling or buying parts of their shares? Where could they go to find that information? One website is finviz.com. You can type in ticker. It's a free website, finviz.com. You type in the ticker and you scroll down and they have insider trades and it'll generally tell you what transactions have happened from major insiders. Does Stratosphere have one too? They do. Stratosphere has one too. So stratosphere.io, that's another great one. Mm-hmm. And you're basically looking for what you know. what's an insider. So CEO, executive team, maybe somebody who is like family of the co-founder and has a lot of shares. Those are kind of like insiders. And most websites should show you like the majority. Don't follow any of these websites if they get little details wrong. If you really want to go to the source, you can look at the proxy statement would be one. And then there's a, a particular filing I can't. It's form four. The form four. Mm-hmm. A lot of those go out. So you could sift through those if you got lots of time. And that's where you can go for that. I guess to answer the question, why would this CEO sell the majority of his shares? I would like flip the question back to anybody who's asking that. Why do you sell shares? Mm-hmm. And if you're near retirement, why would you sell shares? Is it to buy a home? Is it to go on vacation? Is it because you're getting divorced? Is it because you want to buy a new car? All of those things could be reasons to sell shares. And so I know there's a lot of really smart, legendary investors who have said, I don't necessarily worry about insider selling. Peter Lynch was one who wrote about this in particular. He says, I don't worry about insider selling because there's a million reasons why somebody could sell. But he says that he likes insider buying because there's only one reason they would buy. And that's because they think the price is going to go up. So that's my answer is I don't know why he did, but it could be a million other reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. There's a myriad and a myriad of reasons. I love that Peter Lynch idea and I, I missed that when I read his stuff. So that's a fantastic insight and he's, I think he's 100% right. I Maybe think it was Phil Fisher. Yeah. <laughs> Could have been Phil Fisher. Yeah. One of the greats. I've read all of their stuff. I missed both of them if it was one or the other. So, <laughs> or I don't recall that. You know, I think when people think about insider activity, the I think a lot of people put, they try to read into why somebody was selling, you know, the majority. And I guess you know, this is without me understanding what the majority is. Is it he sold some shares or he sold 97.2% of his shares? And 
if he sold some of them, that's normal. And you see it all the time. I get form fours for Visa, for example. And so I see lots of activity and they just had a CEO change and the outgoing CEO sold some of his shares before he left the company. And I didn't read anything nefarious into that because like Andrew was saying, he may have been buying a boat for his wife or he may have been you know, paying for college for his kids or something. You just don't know. And so like, I think that quote is perfect way to kind of think about it. There are a million and one reasons why they would sell, but there's only one reason why they would buy. And if I think if you see people buying in the company, then that's something to pay attention to. I would get more excited about that. I suppose if you saw the CEO, the CFO, the COO, and everybody selling 100% of their shares of the company, then yeah, I would probably be like, okay, what's going on here? There's something going on and I need to be aware of it. But I think when you see a company like this, Amex, American Express, which has been around since the 1880s, 1860s, somewhere in that range. I don't think they're going out of business anytime soon. And so the fact that the CEO is selling some shares or even 50% of his shares, we don't know why and for what reason. And there could be a myriad of reasons and I wouldn't get too excited about it, I guess is kind of the way I would take away from it. Whether it's American Express or whether it's Jeff Bezos, he may be paying for one of his rockets, you know, you don't know. And it's really hard to know, you know, I mean, people were getting super excited about Elon Musk selling a lot of his shares, but everybody knew what he was doing it for. He was doing it to buy Twitter. And so there wasn't a lot of ambiguity of why he was doing that. I guess try not to read too much into it and look more for when people are buying because that's a bigger reaction to something. All right. Well, I guess with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our conversation for today. I wanted to thank Nick for sending us those great questions on Twitter. Please keep them coming. This is a lot of fun for us to talk about these things and we love trying to help everybody on the podcast. If you have any questions about anything we discussed today, compounding, buybacks, any of those kinds of ideas. We have lots of great articles on our website, einvestingforbeginners.com. There is a huge search bar at the top. You can just type in compounding or you can type in buybacks or share repurchases and you'll find all kinds of great information concerning those topics and they can help you learn more about anything that we discussed on the show. So without any further ado, go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.